Beloved saints, the grass withers and the flower falls, but this, the word of our God, is eternal and it remains forever. So let us give our attention to the reading of it. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Let us ask our God's blessing on our time in his word this morning. Father, if we are honest, your scriptures intimidate us because they are perfect. Because they know us better than we know ourselves and they expose our pride, our hidden idols, and they leave us without excuse. Yes, indeed, they are intimidating. But they also reveal to us your grace, your love, and the remedy for all our sin. They reveal to us Jesus Christ, and so we gladly come to know you and your love and your grace. And we pray with the psalmist, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us. And lead us, Father, we ask, in the way that is everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, a famous philosopher named Bob Dylan uh, recorded a song, and the title was, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Uh, It's an unpopular thought, really, when you think about it. His point is, you can't avoid serving someone. And we don't like that idea. We don't like uh, the idea of serving, and we certainly don't like the idea of obligation to serve. We want to believe that we are free, that we are independent, and that we only serve if and when we decide to. Philosopher Dylan said that was a myth, that whether you realize it or not, everyone is serving someone. The only question is who, and is he worthy of your service? Now, whatever you think about Bob Dylan, on this point, he was right. We all serve someone. And the question is who? And the question is, is he worthy of your service? Because when one is worthy of your service, when someone is worthy of that devotion, service is not a burden, service is a privilege. Uh, The greater the leader, the greater the privilege. And there is no one greater, there is no one more worthy of your service than God. And so to be his people called out of the world and into his kingdom is the greatest privilege there is. And that privilege should lead us to praise, it should lead us to gratitude, and yes, it should lead us to service. 
And for the last several weeks, since we finished uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, I have been going through some of the Psalms, and the last uh, seven plus today's are are known as the Royal Psalms. They are Psalms uh, about uh, God as King and His rule over us. Uh, And Psalm 100, the one we are looking at this morning, concludes this section. And as it does so, it turns its focus off of the king and it turns it onto his people and what it means for us to belong to the king of heaven and how we as his people are to respond Now, the fact that God is king is not some interesting bit of trivia. It's important. It affects us. And it should change us. It should comfort us. And it should cause us to rejoice. My hope this morning as we open up Psalm 100, which is a a short but profound psalm, my, my point is to drive home one point, and it's this. The more we know the God who is our king, the more we will delight in him and in serving him. The more we know him, the more we will love him and love serving him. It's really that simple because he is worthy and he is good. Uh, Psalm 100 uh, draws on these themes that we've been seeing over the last several weeks as we've learned about the King of Heaven. But it uh, doesn't refer to the King. in, in Psalms 93 through 99, we have heard over and over the king this, the king that, or the Lord reigns, or the Lord is king, and on and on. And in, in Psalm 100, we don't see that. Instead, what Psalm 100 does is it invokes the image of a shepherd so that we might realize what kind of king we have. We have a shepherd king. And that's going to be important for understanding who he is. And so I'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time at the beginning this morning of looking at that imagery. And once we've done that, then we'll turn and ask, okay, so what then does it mean to be the people of the shepherd? What does it mean to be the sheep of his pasture? Because that is our identity Because we are defined by who he is and what it means to be his people. That's a very, very important thing for us to understand. And once we've done that, finally, I'd like to look at the commands in our passage and see how we are to come into our shepherd king's presence. And I'm going to call that palace etiquette. (laughs) What do we do when we enter into uh, the heavenly courts, the royal uh, palace? While these commands specifically shape our worship, they should also inform our whole lives because it's only when we know who our God is that we can find joy and comfort in this life. And it's only then that we can learn true gratitude. So that's where we're headed as we look at this psalm. As I said, uh, unlike the previous uh, seven uh, royal psalms, Psalm 100 makes no mention of God being king, but it does mention his courts in verse 4. And and this should be uh, a familiar verse. Uh, 
because it's right there over our piano. We have it above there. All of the verses on our walls are uh, key verses to help us understand who we are as a church, what we are doing here. Um, The image of courts, entering into God's courts, is a royal image. This is uh, not tennis courts. This is not uh, uh, courtrooms. This is palace courts. This is an audience with the king. But the image given here in verse 3 is that of a shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And that's why I've used that phrase that God is our shepherd king. The image of being a shepherd is really important to God. And it's, it's necessary to understand, if we are to understand what God's understanding is of what it means to be a, not a, a good king, the right kind of king. Uh, this is why God in his word calls the kings of Israel the shepherds of Israel. This is why when he sought a king for his people, he found one among the shepherds of Israel. David, a man after God's own heart, which means uh, his heart is like that of God to care for the weak and the needy. This is why Psalm 23 that we just sang a few minutes ago is so dear to us. Because it it tells us what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. It means he cares for us. It means he feeds us. It means he restores us when we're broken down and hungry and hurting. It means he leads us in righteousness. And it means that he is with us in life's darkest hours, even the moment of death. It means he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that one day, he will welcome us into his heavenly home for all eternity. And I will dwell in the house of my God forever. And these are the themes that have been coming out in the royal psalms that we've been looking at. Psalms 93 and 95 pointed out that that our God is the one who shows kindness to sinners. Psalm 99 that we looked at two weeks ago told us that this God invites us to come to him and find forgiveness. Psalm 96 said that uh, that was not limited uh, to the Jews, but was an invitation for all the nations, for Gentiles as, as well as the children of Abraham. Psalms 94, 96, and 98 uh, continually reminded us that one day our God will set all things right, that justice matters to him. And wickedness will not run uh, free forever. Psalms 94, 97, and 98 warned us that all false gods will be put to shame, and those who put their trust in those false gods will be put to shame with them. Our God is holy, our God is good, and our God is just. These are the themes that have come up over and over through these psalms. And our psalm, Psalm 100, echoes all all of these in verses 3 and 5 when it tells us, uh, Know the Lord our God, know that the Lord, He is God. In verse 5, know the Lord, He is good. 
He is God and there is no other. All false gods are the inventions of man, and so they can offer no hope, no peace, no comfort, no salvation, because there is only one who is full of steadfast love and mercy. There is only one who is eternal, whose faithfulness never fails. Our God is not just king, though he is that. And he's not just a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Verse 5. He is good. When Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd in John 10, this is what he had in mind. He, he knew the implications of what it meant to claim this title. It meant doing whatever it took to care for his sheep and to welcome them into heaven. And so he says, I am the good shepherd, therefore I will lay down my life for the sheep because that's what's necessary to welcome us into heaven. Then picking up on the Psalms' worldwide vision for the Gentiles, Jesus says, and I have sheep outside of Israel whom I must bring close. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. Our our, our shepherd king is not uh, some despot, uh, dictator. He's not capricious. He's not insecure. He's not vindictive, self-centered, or self-serving. His name is synonymous with steadfast love and faithfulness and putting our needs before his own. And he requires the same of leaders in his kingdom. The reason God called kings in Israel shepherds, and the reason he now calls pastors and elders shepherds, is because they are supposed to reflect his kind of rule. They're supposed to lead the way God leads, with kindness and patience, with sacrifice putting the needs of others before their own needs. That doesn't mean they never confront sin. It doesn't mean the customer is always right. But it means they put the comfort of others before their own. It's true for fathers in the church, and it's true for fathers in the home. Husbands, fathers... When you want to know what it means to lead your family, go read John 10. Because everything in John 10 echoes the image of the shepherd king in Psalms 93 through 100. Leaders in God's kingdom are first and foremost servants, shepherds. Not distant rulers with no concern for individuals. Jesus says in John 10, I know my own and my own know me. He knows every single one of his subjects personally. And that leads us to to our second point this morning, what it means to be the sheep of his pasture. 
Uh, the structure of the psalm drives us to the very center, the very heart of the psalm. And when we get there, the, the statement that we find is in verse 3, we are his people. We are his people. This is where the royal psalms end with with a reflection of what it means to be God's kingdom people. He doesn't just have in mind the Jewish descendants of Abraham. These psalms have been pressing the reality that, that God has always intended for his salvation to extend far beyond the borders of Israel to the very ends of the earth and that all peoples would be invited to draw near and to call him father. And that's what he means in verse 3 when he says that, that God made us and we are his people. It, it's not referring to the fact that he created us, though that is certainly true. That is certainly true, but that's not what he's referring to here. But that when he called Israel out of Egypt, he made them into a new people, into a new kingdom, a new creation. He called them out of the world to be his treasured, treasured possession. He was their God. They were his people. He was their shepherd and they were his sheep. And like a shepherd, he led them through the wilderness as a shepherd leads a flock. Like that first hymn we opened with this morning. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And this, again, is, is the blessing that we have been invited into. This is how, how the Apostle John opens the revelation. He, he, he praises God, saying, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood, by his blood, and made us, made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he is your king. You belong to him and not to the world. And that means you are a citizen of his kingdom, a kingdom which shall have no end. This is what our psalm confesses. This is what it means when it says, it is he who made us, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And to be a member, a citizen, a subject in that kingdom is not to be a nameless face in the crowd. He knows every one of his subjects by name. We see every election cycle candidates going into little diners and restaurants. What's your name? What are you from? What's your name? Where are you from? Could you imagine walking in and saying, Bill, how's the hip? You know me? Oh, yeah. I was praying for you this morning. He knows every one of his subjects by name. He knows them. He loves them. He is good. To him, our, our, our prayers aren't uh, some vague you know, 
things being requests being sent in for for him our prayers are an individual matter your prayers are not lost in a sea of requests and he doesn't farm your prayers out to angels or saints he hears you when you pray he knows his sheep by name he knows your voice he knows the number of hairs on your head And he knows your hurts, and he knows your worries, and he knows your doubts, and he knows your fears, and he knows your needs. Your Savior knows you, and he is good. He is the good shepherd. Well, this is why we strive to know each other at Reformation. Well, we will never be remotely as good at it as it as Jesus is. We must strive to know individuals individually. Your name, your story, your fears, your doubts, your struggles and your needs. This is why we pray for families by name every week because nothing less would be worthy of those who belong to the Good Shepherd. We are His people. He made us. And so we matter to Him. And if that's true, we must matter to each other. What we've seen, the Shepherd King, He is God and He is good. We've looked at what it means to be his people, that we've been called out of the world and that we are known and we are loved. We want to spend our remaining time picking up on something that we saw in in Psalm 99. Uh, A few weeks ago when we looked at that psalm, I asked, where do heaven and earth touch? Where do we meet with our king? Where do we experience his kingdom? We saw that it was when we gather for worship each week. It's here, where we are right now, that his people, his sheep, meet with their shepherd king in a unique way. That's what verse 4 envisions when it talks about passing through the palace gates and entering into his courts. And, and it gives us some commands as, uh, as we enter that we need to keep in mind. And uh, for lack of a better phrase, I'm just going to call this palace etiquette. <laughs> How we are to conduct ourselves in the presence of our king. And the first command uh, that we need to consider, they're listed out uh, in your bulletin outline. The first command is to come. Verse 2 tells us to come. Verse 4 tells us to enter. Yes, they tell us how to enter. And we'll get to that in a minute. But we can't talk about how to enter if we don't enter at all. Um, It's tragic how lightly God's people have come to take his command to worship. God tells us in the book of Hebrews, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more 
as you see the day drawing near. Gathering for worship is not an option. It is a command. So why? Why do we take it so lightly? Why are we so willing to miss church? I think it's for two reasons. We don't believe that we are really coming to meet with God is the first reason. And the second is we don't remember how good he is. Let me put it this way. If Jesus bodily came to earth and you knew where he was going to be, would there be anything that could keep you from being there? And yet he meets with us every week. But we grow apathetic and we grow lazy and we forget that he is God and that he is good and that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Because if you believe that, if you truly believe it, what could possibly keep you from coming? Of course, if you're sick, (laughs) it's courteous not to come and get others sick. Or if road conditions are bad and it's a safety issue, we get it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mindset that has captured God's people that is so completely contrary to what we hear in Psalm 100. Where God's people have have come to be indifferent about a royal invitation to enter into his courts and stand in his presence and enjoy his goodness. Indifferent. When the reality of what worship is truly grips you, how could you enter with anything but rejoicing, verse 1, singing, verse 2, or thanksgiving, verse 4? God has called you by name out of the world and into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has forgiven your sins. He has washed away every impurity. He has put his name upon you and he has told the devil that you are a brand plucked from the fire. He's told you to come and be reminded of his love for you. He has invited you to come and hear again the good news that that first intoxicated your heart. Thanksgiving is the most obvious and natural disposition when you remember these things. Yes, worship is commanded, but that doesn't mean it's a burden. It is a privilege. And if that's not how you feel about worship, let me gently suggest it's probably because you don't get what worship is and you need to let your understanding of what worship is be reshaped by God's word. Because as your understanding is reshaped, it will become more, not less important. The privilege will increase, not decrease. As you're shaped by the truth, 
you will delight in entering in and making a joyful noise, coming into his presence with singing and entering with thanksgiving and praise. There are seven commands in this psalm. In these short five verses, there are seven commands. And the central one is in verse 3, and it's simply this. Know that the Lord, He is God. That controls everything. Everything else flows out of that. Everything you do flows out of what you believe about God. The Proverbs say, as a man believes in his heart, so he is. Everyone wants to grow. Everyone wants to mature. Everybody wants to change. And we know that our created purpose is to reflect uh, the God in whose image we were made. But here's the thing. You can't do those things without getting to know the God in whose image you were made. You have to get to know him. You do that privately by reading his word. I hope you're reading his word every day. You do that in fellowship with godly friends who challenge and encourage you. I hope you are inviting your Christian brothers and sisters into your life and you thank them when they say hard things. You don't drive them away. But you also do that when you gather to meet with your God in worship. Because when you do, you don't find a God who's far off, uninterested, corruptible, distracted, You find a shepherd king who who knows you by name. Who's given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Whose steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. And the more you know him, the more you will trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you will find his peace. And the, the more you will become like him. Because like the hymn says, I I know not what good or ill may be reserved for me, weary ways or golden days, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Where is your comfort for the days that lie ahead in knowing what's going to happen or knowing whom you have believed and trusted? Confidence for tomorrow, confidence for today begins with knowing God. And that will lead you to, as verse 4 says, bless his name. Uh, We've already established that, that God knows your name. The question now is, do you know his? His name is a revelation of who he is, which is why his name takes on so many forms. Uh, Almighty, uh, God of hosts, uh, provider, or Yahweh. Now the back wall, I told you our verses are important. Uh, the back wall tells you what Yahweh means. When we have it translated, the Lord with all caps, the original Hebrew was Yahweh, that name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. And in in Exodus 34, he told Moses what his name means. It, It says, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and righteousness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. To bless his name is to bless all that he represents. It's to revere and to to hallow who he is. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, we're asking that all he is would be exalted. It's acknowledging that he is our king and we are his subjects. We are his to, to guide and to direct as he will. And that leads us to verse 2. And that command that we want to close with, serve the Lord with gladness. you got to serve somebody. Before you come to the Lord, you serve sin, you serve yourself, you serve pleasure, and you are a slave to sin. When you come to faith... You surrender to Jesus as king. And that's not, it's not a threat. It's the first time you ever experience freedom. And, and he alone is worthy of your service. You were created to serve your creator and you will never truly experience freedom until you do what you were created to do. So what does serving him look like? Part of it is what we've been talking about. Obeying him, worshiping him, praising him. And it extends outward uh, into serving others in his name. Uh, Our Lord tells us that when we serve the least of his, we are serving him. Look around you. Your opportunities to serve your Lord are sitting in the pews around you. And if you want to know what service looks like, the Lord has left us the best possible picture we could ask for. Because on the table in front of us is bread and wine remembering the last meal that our Lord shared with his disciples. And at that meal, he was not served, but he took the role of a servant. His disciples were the guests of honor, and he took the role of a table waiter. And he didn't see that as an insult. He, he took pleasure in serving those he loved. But his service wasn't done at that meal. Because that meal itself was a picture of the greatest act of service still yet to come. When he would die on the cross to serve his sheep so their sins might be forgiven. So that he could welcome them in to his heavenly home. That's what service looks like. That's how you have been loved. And he says, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. But we can't do it our own. 
We cannot do it on our own strength. We need the strength of our shepherd king. And so he tells us that as surely as the bread and the wine enter into us, so that those who put their trust in him, he dwells within and he strengthens them. And so let us come to the table and let us remember his love. Let us come with gratitude and share a meal with our shepherd king. I'd like to ask Pastor Isaac and our elders to come forward that we might receive this gift this morning. Our Heavenly Father, our Savior, our Shepherd, our King, you are God and you are good. Hallowed be your name. We praise you for the privilege of being called into your presence to enter your courts each week and to stand in your presence to hear your word, your forgiveness, and to sing your praises. Teach us gratitude for this privilege so that we might sing with joy, that we might serve you with gladness, for you are our God and we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You've called us out of the world to be your treasured possession. And so may your kingdom come, may your will be done, forever and ever we pray.